I I want to know: Is there a Buzzfeed quiz? <laughs> what counselor <laughs> character are you? Yeah, I need to. <laughs> I need to know. I need to know which doomed person I am. Am I Westray? Am are you I? Patrick, you're so you're such a writer. <laughs> I am such a writer. I have yeah. I got the got the Guy Fieri hair. I've got the million leopards. So yeah, it is interesting. The guy from Spain is maybe the most American guy in the history of movies. In this he's Mister. He's Mister Burger. He's like yeah, he, there's he's, something yeah. about it. Yeah, he has an air of burger to him. He's like, I just got rich. Am I gonna be responsible about it? No. <laughs> there, he's very yeah. There's just something yeah. I think it's just the gaudiness. His gaudiness feels uh, yeah. It's like it's like an unhinged Americana. As as Westray so eloquently puts it, you may not have noticed, but our friend Reiner has gotten particularly lavish lately. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh I just did the test. I, I'm the wire man? Oh no. Oh, you're the you're the great you're the dog food eating motorcycle boy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm the motor. I'm the yeah, I'm Mr. Mo- According, hey, as per Wikipedia, the motorcycle boy is known as the Green Hornet. Well, I mean, wasn't uh, Mickey Rourke motor motorcycle boy in Rumblefish? Yeah, that is true. He is motorcycle boy. Oh man, yeah, what? different different arc for that character though. Different. Well, you know, on that note, that is a very counselor thing that. All roads lead to being the motorcycle boy. At the yeah, end of the day, it's that would be that would be a very Cormac McCarthy type thing. Hello and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, unscientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson, and I just went from Javier Bardem into Michael Fassbender. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Patrick Gremion, and uh, before we continue this podcast, on may I tell you the story of the sparrow and the fly? Oh, you could. <laughs> how the fly um, thought he could help the sparrow by eating what was left of the worms, but little did the fly know that the sparrow merely saw him as a worm himself. Something so we, to think about, of course. So we still doing this drug deal? Welcome <laughs> to the Academy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's go let's go <laughs> welcome to an episode we've been anticipating and hopefully will not disappoint scott scott we're calling this episode grief the counselor and to tear the band-aid off the counselor can be rented through all of the streaming services and is on a very nice blu-ray edition that in academy academy first patrick and i sat down on the couch yeah, at my place, held hands and watched the counselor together. <laughs> hey, look the ideal, uh, the ideal watching for a method. You have to hold your friend's hand. Well, there are a few movies that I would call more of like a social party movie than the counselor. Yeah, yeah. Don't go into this thinking it's Ghostbusters too, folks. I know it's like, you, well, I mean, they both play that. Uh, <laughs> So that's the song that the Statue of Liberty walks to. Busting <laughs> um, <laughs> feels good. I don't know. It does. It's not. You know the our baby knows the Ghostbusters song. Oh really? Yeah, it plays on one of her shows, and she dances to it appropriately. <laughs> um, no, it's um, 
Oh my god. I uh this I'll is, be it, it was it was in our wedding mix and it's gonna it's gonna bug me. It's oh, just man. truly gonna bug me um if i don't uh, figure this out but we could keep talking no <laughs> emb- embarrassing fake movie fan admittance i've seen ghostbusters one obviously many a time never seen ghostbusters two i've never i've ghostbusters never seen Ghostbusters two i saw in the theater Ooh. and we were oh it's so it's higher and higher um by um jackie wilson it's a very uh. good song it's a very good song but that's you know that's what kind of that's that that song's also on the counselor soundtrack. That was the joke that I was gonna get to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, there are no there are no songs in the counselor. No one is yeah. singing beautiful soul I, songs. <laughs> at at no counselor. point does anyone uh you know at no point does a song suggest that you shut up and slam and get welcome yeah. to the jam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like there is no like um. Yeah, it's not like the Space Jam soundtrack. <laughs> no, oh god, an all-time banger. Uh best soundtrack, best best basketball. <laughs> some of the all best those, ba- some of the best basketball. But so <laughs> The Counselor is a, obviously a Ridley Scott picture. It was released on October 25th of 2013 in the United mm-hmm. States. I saw it that very Friday night mm-hmm. by myself mm-hmm. at a mall cinema. Sparsely attended screening before going to meet my then relatively new girlfriend. Ooh, Jen Jen Saunderson, my now my wife of like almost a decade. Wow! <laughs> and I said, I know you have a comedy show tonight. I'll meet you when you get done because I need to go see The Counselor because <laughs> I'm <laughs> dying to see this movie. You want to get counselor pilled? You were dying I to. Wanted, I. Uh, obviously, this was a movie I was watching very, very closely. Its entire mm. production, like production, and when it was announced, um, you know. So basically, the big thing about the counselor is that it is written it is an original screenplay by Cormac McCarthy. Now, mm. longtime listeners of the show know Cormac McCarthy is more than a passing concern to Patrick and I. Yeah, um, a interesting. He's a man who's on our mind pretty often. Um, <laughs> he lives all in my head rent free. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. He's rent free in our heads. Um yeah. so absolutely like um you know not currently like I won't say all time because there's obviously been a lot of novelists and this is a mm-hmm. big thing. But I would say among living novelists, he's probably on the Mount Rushmore of living American novelists. Yes, I would a hundred percent agree with that, and I think that he also like understands, uh, like the more, uh, I guess, depraved and uh, foreboding elements of the uh, American uh, character, guess, like psyche character, yeah. yeah, psyche than like other than uh, than any other living novelist. I don't think anyone can like like that. I mean, like, and obviously, like my other two. I don't know who four is, but I would put Thomas Pinchon and Dundalillo with them mm. at that at those heights. And I think that might show our taste. My taste mm. is that it is a paranoid kind of yeah. like apocalyptic feeling. Also, good books. You just like good also, books. <laughs> I also like good books. But yeah, he's known for being, you know, a very unique, sparse writing style filled with mm-hmm. moments of. Truly graphic violence, yeah. and 
depravity and characters that don't leave you mm-hmm. ever. <laughs> like, <laughs> it feels like it. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. He doesn't give a lot of interviews. He's a rather mysterious man, which I think helps his cause immensely too. Oh, for sure. Like, hasn't even you know. At least Pynchon had like a guest. You know, was on the Simpsons an episode. Like, he hasn't even done that yet. Like, you know, he's he truly. I think he's only done like. Were we talking about this? Like, he's only done like two interviews, and one of them was like with a scientist friend. Yeah, he like and... was just peppering him about science questions. Yeah, the whole time. he did, and he got he made the Oprah Book Club for the road. Which is which is wild. That is which insane. Is, I mean, like that was like when I was in college. That was the talk. Oprah Book Club. Oh, the two questions in my all creative writing classes and English. I was an English major, naturally, and oh, yeah. um, the two major talking points is Oprah's book club a good or a bad thing, mm. and is Stephen King a good or a bad writer? Those were like the two like biggest topics of conversation. I would say both are good. Yeah, Oprah's book club got people reading, and Stephen King is a good writer. Hundred like, percent. Yeah, They're both good. Yeah, Stephen King, like he has, like he can't look at a book like The Stand and say he's like no. a poor writer, in my opinion. And also, just but like I do the... wonder if uh, King had read McCarthy when he did The Stand. Oh, it's his <sighs> most stand. It's his most McCarthy esque book, certainly. Uh, yeah, I would say so. Like, it's definitely like the grim. Although, like, yeah, it's definitely still more popcorny. It's more yeah. Pop- you can't. Well, it's yeah, also can't... positive. I mean, that's Stephen King's thing. Like, Stephen King still like Stephen King has such positive memories of like listening to doo wop and riding bikes through his neighborhood in the fifties. Oh, yeah, I love. <laughs> oh my god, it's so funny. Did you read? Uh, I recently read his. Um, I think it was called like Fairy Tale or something. I haven't read like... his new one. No. Yeah, but it was so funny because it stars like a. Like a sixteen-year-old kid, mm-hmm. and it's like very funny hearing. He still, like... he still firmly thinks that the kids are getting into that new rock and roll music, going to the ice cream stand. <laughs> right, this... right. Yeah. Hey, have you heard of this new band called the Ramones? Yeah, well, they're flapping. Oh, they are like cutting edge. They're. <laughs> yeah. I think they're gonna go somewhere. Fifty fucking years ago. <laughs> yeah, I heard they took over a high school. You know, it, yeah, Stephen King definitely is like, man, I am like, I just heard the talking heads, and I think they are the future of rock and roll music. This is, you know, like... Oh, yeah, well, and it's also, like, it was so funny, because there's, like, moments where he'll try to do, like, modern, like, what kids, like, like, he'll try to do kids' speech, or he'll, like, try to, like, incorporate, like, how kids play video games or are on their cell phones into, like, a conversation. Yeah. And it does feel like an alien like landing on earth and like trying to mimic like the actions of the humans he has just witnessed yeah. in front of him like, it's, it's like... so it's it's rather charming it's so oh, funny it. it's like cuz it's it. like there's a real like beautiful innocence to the entire thing that he still thinks the kids just aren't like i was just talking about it with former uh guest on the show friend of the show Graham High last night about this movie we're all going to the world's fair have you seen this oh, that movie? I've, I've heard of it. I've been wanting to see that. It's on uh it's well, on HBO Max or the Max, sorry. Yeah, Matt. Oh. Mm, sorry. Actually, please, Max. Max is Max. offended. Max is offended. Uh I'd rather watch The Max, the TV show that was on MTV, thank you. I know. But um that movie, I think, is actually what kids are up to. And it's not a pleasant thing. 
<laughs> yeah, kids are getting lost in their own world via creepy pastas. That's kind of yeah. like, yeah, it's not yeah, good. <laughs> there's no like the innocence and joy of a king book where it's like you think we can score some beer and then listen to some records together (laughs) (laughs) this guy's called bo diddley yeah i know (laughs) so the one word that you're missing stephen king that doesn't exist it seems for today's youth is together (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh man that's the thing because like yeah i thought about this too and like just like how we grow up nowadays like i even feel like my generation was kind of like the last generation maybe and even then, I feel like I did it less than, way less than maybe even, like, like uh, my parents' generation, mm-hmm. obviously. And I think about how, like, you know, in the 50s or, from the 50s to, like, 80s or 90s, hanging out was, like, walking down the train tracks and doing Stand By Me. And, like, yeah. you know, maybe, hey, maybe you find a dang bod. That's, like, the traumatic moment. And now it's, like, you're on Discord playing video games, maybe. But yeah. or you're like and like the traumatic instead of the traumatic thing being like a thing like instead of like finding like you know a stash of porn in the woods or like, right. <laughs> or like uh, you're like not true not traumatic it's actually it's like, radically cool no, it's rad- yeah radically cool <laughs> <laughs> yeah you gotta, gotta, gotta kids, kids yeah to our children listeners before there was internet porn discovering porn <laughs> that with when it was not regularly available to you was like winning the lottery. It was the greatest thing. It was the most like I found a Ford video on the walk home from middle school, like oh just on God. the ground. And I was walking home with a group of friends, very Stephen King styled, with yeah, their backpacks just... and that kind of thing. I picked it up, I looked at it, said, No one under 18 performs in this video. And I go, I held it up in the air like it was a gold medal or a WWF title. It's porn. That's what I screamed. Gold. And everyone was like, runs back like, what? And we like hugged each other. And I hate to tell you folks, every male kid my age in in my grade saw this movie. And that's like a shame. You got passed around all through sophomore year. <laughs> or whatever. The sacred year. scroll. Yeah, yes, it was. It was um <laughs> l- listen to my wisdom. <laughs> yeah. Move, move over, uh, Maimonides. This is the yeah. new the new text. Uh, yeah, but is, like this is where yeah. uh Cormac McCarthy would say we we're all dying. <laughs> Things are getting yeah. worse. Yeah, yeah. He'd be like <laughs> There's no mystery anymore. There's no mystery anymore. I used to to have to walk 50 miles barefoot, (laughs) hungry, to get a pornographic video. (laughs) (laughs) To get a a pornographic gramophone. Yeah, yeah. We had to listen back then. Yeah. I had to push the crank and then hear the moans. Gormac McCarthy is actually quite old. He turns 90 in July. Oh my gosh. An old guy. He is oh, an man. old guy. He's awesome. If you have not read any of his books, we highly They're recommend good. it. Just tear the Band-Aid, folks. Read Blood Meridian first. Do it. I, that's, I'm going to say it now. Just like uh, anyone who hasn't who listens to the pod, uh, directing this towards Sean. Wink. wink. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Sean. We love you. But like, yeah, read uh, read Blood Meridian. It's really good. It's really, yeah. You want if you want to like understand the depravity of manifest destiny and like like what, uh, have, 
what human beings could be capable of. Mm-hmm. The violence, right in. the yeah. violence, and the souls of everyone. All right. Yes. So in 2005, so a couple of major things happened to Cormac McCarthy in the early 2000s. For most of the like 70s, 80s, into the 90s, he is considered a hush-hush um, discussion between mm. your literary friends. Yeah, he's a writer's writer, but he's not like popular necessarily. Mm-hmm. Then. There is like a one-two punch in 2005 and 2006 into 2005, 2006, 2007. 2005, he releases No Country for Old Men, Mm. which is, um, I would argue, his easiest book Mm. to digest. Not in a bad way. And it actually feels like a movie and a screenplay when you read it. (laughs) Um, And that book is a hit. Then in 2006, he releases The Road which is arguably his most popularly celebrated book. Yeah. Uh, Won the Pulitzer Prize for fiction, Oprah's Book Club. And generally speaking, when people talk about a possible apocalypse, the road is usually what they are referring to and have in mind visually. I I remember uh, when uh, I was, when I I went to like, New Hampshire and like New England to like look at like mm-hmm. colleges when I was a kid and uh like you know where do you want to go to school and I remember we like stopped at a uh a, I was with my dad and we stopped at like a bookstore uh just because we're gonna be doing a lot of driving and I was like oh I want to get something to read and I remember like talking to like the lady at the front desk being I was like I just finished like I think the stand or swan song, one mm-hmm. of those like post or canical for Leibowitz, maybe that's what I think I finished. And I was like, uh, I just read canical for Leibowitz. I love post-apocalyptic fiction. Give me like, you know, can you show, suggest to me some books that kind of fit that mold. And the books she gave me were like, um, it was funny. Cause like the other two of them weren't like, they were, I guess, post-apocalyptic in their own way, but it was something wicked, which way comes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin, <laughs> which is boy, do we, Oh yeah, Kevin, bit of an odd bird that one. <laughs> Got a lot going on there. That's like, yeah, I guess that is post-apocalyptic fiction in its own way. Uh, and then uh, uh, from the divisive Lionel Shriver, uh, and then um, and then the road was like the third one. And I remember like reading that, and like it kind of like fit the tone of where I was perfectly because it was like New England in February, and like it gets cold. It like you know it's so cold and it gets dark at like four p.m. And I just remember reading, like, The Road and, like, driving down these sullen, like, highways and being like, this is, like, the perfect, like, the mood of the text I am reading matches the world. It's, like, perfect case of pathetic fallacy. It's incredible. (laughs) Yeah, and I think, too, there was a feeling around that time of, like, that was, like, in the dregs of the W. Bush era, too. Ooh, yeah. And there was just a feeling of feeling blue. Just all around, yeah. especially uh, among the literary New Yorker type community. Oh yeah, so, like yeah. For a book like this is like there is like crack cocaine. Like you know, it's like give it to me. <laughs> this is where we're heading to. <laughs> so this book is a huge sensation. And then in 2007, the Cullen Brothers released their adaptation of No Country for Old Men, mm. which wins Best Picture, 
my opinion, one of the 10 greatest movies released in this millennium thus far. I need to watch uh, it again. It is a really, yeah. Javier Bardem gives like yeah, one of the best performances of all time. And Javier Bardem creates the face of evil. The like, haircut of evil. The haircut. Yeah. Like, you know, if you think his haircut in the counselor is bad, remember no country for old men. Um, <laughs> but it just kind of like, it sets a tone for whatever, like my favorite Maybe my favorite thing, which both Cormac McCarthy and the Coens are so good at, is the just brutal fatalism, mm-hmm. like in in a movie or a book. A choice is made, and basically the movie actually isn't particularly dramatic, because mm-hmm. the conclusion is already set in stone of what is going to happen to you. Like, I think both Cormac McCarthy and the Coens where they're match made in heaven because I think they have a moralism about mm-hmm. decision make like a god complex if you will <laughs> and basically so if Luel Moss in No Country for Old Men when he's out hunting mm-hmm. and he discovers those dead bodies and rather than just calling it in takes that money it's a rather innocent move that almost anyone would make hmm in a lot of cases, maybe not, but a lot of people would make that choice. Yeah, it's not like that. an unbelievable, like I know, yeah, like people would do that for sure. But what he does not realize is that the literal devil is on their he- on the heels of all of this mm-hmm. and he is like not going to let it go. And that's yeah. it. You're done. Well, it's the same thing it's... in Fargo. The second Jerry Lundegaard's like, I need this money. I'm going to oh. hire these guys. It's over. It's over for him. Toast. Yeah, toast. toast. Yeah. human toast. Well, and it's like that money is like literal blood money, too. It's like yeah. straight up like it's like tainted money and it's from this tainted world. And once you touch that money, you're infected. You're fucked. Yeah, you're, you're ruined. not innocent. You're done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it, yeah, it's like, a yeah, it's a total like parasite. Mm-hmm. And second you make these choices, you're done. And yeah. thus, that brings us to, so, at the end, of, you know, Cohen's win Best Picture for No Country mm-hmm. for Old Man. In the year that Zodiac, There Will Be Blood, Michael Clayton, Man. We Own the Night, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly, etc., 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 come out. 2007 was a major movie year. Wow. Uh, and No Country for Old Man is the best picture winner and mm. no one really has a problem with that yeah in a year where there will be blood came yeah. out everyone's like yeah you know what that's we're not mad and there are stories because there will be blood in no country both shot in kind of adjacent towns in texas oh, at the wow. same time and the cohen's were saying like oh yeah you could look over a hillside and see like oil derricks being blown up like fire in the distance it's like something's happening it was all like around marfa texas where they shot both these ones and Mm. what boy what a a collection of minds that were getting to work during that time period oh my god yeah marfa dude if i was uh working at a coffee shop in marfa we were making big bucks yeah, that point. Daniel Day Lewis comes in and screams at you because he doesn't leave character. <laughs> Paul F. Tompkins has to pull him out. Like, no, I'm sorry, Mr. Plainview, Mr. Plainview. I can't call him by his name. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
McCarthy is all of a sudden like a pop cultural figure mm-hmm. by this point, and that there is a feeding frenzy for McCarthy stuff, of course, mm-hmm. in Hollywood. <laughs> you know, and The Road does become a movie. Um, I've act- in 2009, I've actually never seen the John Hillcoat's The Road movie. I've seen it. It's it's fine. It's like yeah. a good. I think it's a solid. Uh, it's a solid. Uh, adapt adaptation if not like it's not like super it doesn't maybe have like the flourish or the texture of like a culinary pta but it's mm-hmm. like a good movie and vigo's yeah. great in it i'm sure i don't i don't doubt that you know yeah from our from our man vigo oh, um yeah. And e- yeah. everyone hears that uh blood meridian is his best book everyone makes a go at adapting blood meridian into a film without realizing that perhaps some of the elements in Blood Meridian that make Blood Meridian are not particularly palpable to the multiplex audience, <laughs> to put it lightly. But this movie would also be deeply expensive to make, too, because like, it is a period Western. Yep. Um, and But it's a um, devastating book. But they they continue to try. Um. In the late 90s, Tommy Lee Jones was Ooh. the rights holder for it. And obviously, Tommy Lee Jones, he's in No Country for Old Men, and he just seems like a Cormac McCarthy he's guy. He's that world. He, has... he feels like he just is, like, yeah. Like, he's probably friendly with Cormac McCarthy. Oh, for sure. Um, and they kept working on it. But again, the production could not move forward due to film studios avoiding the project's, quote, overall violence. <laughs> <laughs> i mean honestly it's one of the few books where i'm like yeah i mean i get that like it's it's, yeah, that it's, is, just, it's not for the fate of heart even visualizing it when you read it it's not um then it in 2004 william monahan and ridley scott entered into negotiations with with um infamous producer scott rudin with paramount pictures financing blood meridian uh Scott is a fan of Cormac McCarthy's. He's like, you know, and he, for you know, I think he he's too commercial minded to go all the way there. But I do think in his personal life, if you talk to him, he's probably this grim. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I it, maybe it'd work. I'd, I'd be curious to see because, like, especially like with that William Monaghan script, like that could go. And I think I William see... Monaghan may have been the right guy, yeah, to write it too. But um, it, they both ended up leaving the project due mm-hmm. to the fact that it couldn't happen. Twenty eleven. This is like a little insane side note. Oh, is this what I think it is? James Franco. Ugh. <laughs> thank you thank, thank you. you thank you cinema gods for not letting this happen um, yes for not yes regardless that's what I of his personal life foibles the other thing that needs to be noted about james franco he's a bad director fucking like, sucks he's yeah. a bad director he's genuinely yeah. like yeah personal foibles was, aside even if he was the nicest cleanest person in the world he's a bad director yeah, I saw like the first ten minutes of As I Lay Dying, and immediately yeah. like, like, shut it off. Well, and whoever like... these literary rights holders are, who kept giving him the rights to these classic novels, should be in literary prison. <laughs> like... Yeah, go to Arkham. Like, 
You deserve to be in the Arkham Asylum with Scarecrow. Get the fuck out of here. Don't don't let... This guy, he must have been like handsome and charming or whatever. Uh, Hoodwinked. So many people. The most annoying man getting the rights to Faulkner. Like, <laughs> and he did but... Cormac McCarthy's like Child of God. He like he did uh, Faulkner. He did uh, Steinbeck. You know, oh my, he like, did Steinbeck. Yeah, God. Indubi- he did Indubious Battle. Like, oh yeah. Oh, that one. Uh, I think famously still not released. In- like unreleased, but, yeah. You no, know, he's got like, yeah, and it's not because he's a dipshit, it's because that they suck and nobody it's... wanted them in the first place, and he did a no. bad job. <laughs> yeah, uh, the two things I know about in Dubious Battle number one, unreleased, number two, Zach Braff is in the cast. What the fuck is happening? <laughs> yeah, it's like it was like he, James Franco, felt like a prank. Even in real time, that's what was going on. James Franco, like yeah, James Franco. So he apparently was persuaded by fucking Andrew Dominic to adapt it. Huh, Andrew, take that for yourself, yeah. buddy. Yeah, take like, that for yourself. You're, you're Andrew. You're actually the right man for the job. Yeah, you actually. I've seen. I've seen enough of your Uber yeah. to realize that you can. You can go to those depths. Yeah, and apparently they shot 25 minutes of test footage starring Scott Glenn, Mark Pellegrino, who. Um, just on the hunted, um, Ooh, good actor. I like, Luke, I like Luke Luke Perry and uh, naturally Dave Franco. Um, Dave Franco is the kid for undisclosed reasons. Scott Rudin denied further production of the film <laughs> for yeah. undisclosed reasons. Probably sucked. That's why. Yeah, I wonder how many <laughs> fucking throw phones Scott threw on that set. I know. Like, and then 2016, be- they talked about doing it again with James Franco doing it again. <sighs> And this time the cast would have been, and don't get me wrong, I actually like this lead, Russell Crowe as oh. the lead, with uh, Ty Sheridan and Vincent D'Onofrio. And it dissolved up until earlier this year, mm. they announced John Hillcoat, who directed The Road, All right. will be making it with Cormac McCarthy set to serve as executive producer. So okay, I think good. this might actually be the closest it's come. But Long story short, Ridley Scott endeared himself to Cormac McCarthy in the process of him and William Monaghan's attempt mm-hmm. to make it. So, cut to a few years later, and Ridley Scott is probably on set somewhere, I would assume. <laughs> uh, you know, he's coming off of Prometheus, Robin Hood, probably around there somewhere. Mm, right. And he gets a phone call that he's being sent something. Mm-hmm. And, and Cormac McCarthy has written a secret screenplay. Ooh. And he's sending it directly to Ridley Scott to see if he'd be interested in it. Ridley reads it in an hour and a half and makes the call. Yes, I'm very interested in this movie. Mm. Um and it was pretty much in Ridley World. This happens off to the races, and um, produced by Nick Welcher, Steve Schwartz, Paula May Schwartz, who had previously adapted. Uh, they were producers on the road, so they had a relationship with McCarthy as well. Um, it's off to the races, and this is a classic example of people in Hollywood see themselves in an intellectual capacity but don't actually ever do the work. James Franco, 
for instance, would be a perfect example of this. <laughs> Actually do the work to consider oh, what a hot name means. Mm. Cormac McCarthy's hot right now. But they don't really think, what does Cormac McCarthy do? Mm. They're like, we'll just throw money. <laughs> we'll make this thing. Oh, get all these stars to sign on. Without actually, I think, considering that this movie had no chance, even in the written form, of ever making a profit. Right. Or ever really drawing audiences in. Yeah, it's not... It's a... Um, it is... Very, um, I think it's like a very, it's an alarming text and it's, uh, and it will turn off a bunch of people and people are well within their rights to be turned off because the subject matter is uh, heinous at points. (laughs) Yeah, it is one of the darkest, grimmest major motion pictures I can think of that got like a full scale, like blockbuster level, like multiple you know thousands of theater release it's crazy it's like it's kind of like a cool it's i don't think it's ever gonna happen again maybe unless the road comes out this movie feels unleashed rather than released like it escaped from prison or something like it is like oh man it is like uh some sort of demonic entity has been unleashed on the unwitting populace it's in a good way dark and i went i went back and read mccarthy's published script of it Mm. Which is longer, with more more speeches, oh. more weird opinions from the characters, <laughs> and but it's also just as sinister and just as fatalistic. And in a sense, like if McCarthy had ended, it added a few more descriptions, he probably just could have put it out as a book. Like, yeah. I, well, what's interesting is like McCormick McCarthy, in my opinion, his like terse style think in some ways it can be off-putting to people uh because it doesn't feel like um you know it feels like uh it's very stylized his, yeah like yeah his um his dialogue and but i think in I, hollywood they just see it as a hot property because no country won best picture oh yeah he no, won a pulitzer prize and they're not really thinking hard about what he does they're thinking they're gonna get like a pot boiler or something or like something a little more straightforward um, yeah but, and this movie is a death march. Yeah. But I is... but I also think that like uh the point I wanted to make earlier is that Cormac McCarthy, oh, yeah. like his 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 um uh his um his dialogue, I think his his terse clip dialogue is actually like lends itself to like the screen. I think yeah. it makes it easier to translate. But I also think it's like I mean we were we were calling it out during while watching, we're like, how do any of these people actually like have these literary references <laughs> like, oh it's like, nuts like they're none of them are educated actually educated enough <laughs> like, yeah. it, like like how does like reiner know about like all these parables what is yeah. happening yeah yeah like reiner is like a f- douchebag <laughs> you know like yeah you know? He, he looks like the world's most annoying <laughs> car salesman he looks yeah huge yeah car- he's like yeah he is like the son of the jet ski dealership owner who like hits it yes. big and makes bad decisions from like he has one moment of good luck and he treats <laughs> that as that he earned it and he deserves permanent good luck he which is like great he... for a character but like for a modern audience who's like oh to see like a new fast and the furious movie or something and then wants mm-hmm. a pot boiler thriller it's very unpleasant stuff yeah. 
oh, it's yeah, hard to hard to deal with. Especially yeah, it's like yeah, the juxtaposition of his attire and his L and his like, you know, verbosity. Yeah. yeah. Tough, yeah, tough, tough pill to swallow. It has a very unique rhythm, but to give it Ridley Scott immense credit, Ridley Scott does it in a he does not compromise McCarthy's work. No, in the slightest. Which rules? It yes. just, I, and I, and here's the thing, I think like people get like there is a strain of um film goer that is reticent to um experience uh modes of dialogue outside of the norm yeah, when yeah. something is the the least bit stylized they shy away from it and they're, it, little, they're like, like freaked out they're like that doesn't taste like my hamburger yeah embrace the taste bro like, embrace the taste because <laughs> embrace... like there are joys to be found yeah when things especially like i love stylized things like and i think we we have entered in a phase of cinema where the demand for like realness oh, God, and authenticity because yeah. this is like so i was boy this is gonna be a tangent jen watched that show the circle the mm. reality show on netflix about the people who are like in different apartments and they have to like basically they win the show by being good at social media because they're faceless so they create they have personas online and in their like rooms all they can ever talk about like i like them they're real they're authentic like they want in our modern era, to go back to what we were talking about before, mm-hmm. because everything is so inauthentic, because you can create whatever real persona you want online. Yeah. The demand for authenticity and truth and real is higher than ever. Oh, yeah. Especially among younger viewers. Well, especially, yeah, because like everything. Like, you have to put on a persona when you go to work. You have to put yeah. on a persona when you're, like, everything is so, yeah, and they treat it from like reality and fake. When it is purposely kind of arch in its mm-hmm. style, that doesn't sit well. Like, mm-hmm. it's a little, like, why is this, like, it doesn't feel, like, comfortable to me. It doesn't feel real. Yeah. Like, like, and I think that's why people have like stopped. They like, are such like like documentary and true crime heads and that kind of thing. Yeah, because they like they can't like just give into a story. Yeah, people are so and unwilling, yeah, especially like in this era of like cinema sins film going mentality. We're so um unwilling to accept any hint of unreality and we are mm-hmm. so willing to break you know we're so willing to disregard something if it doesn't you know have the air of truth to it mm-hmm. so when a very very pointed very like stylized parable i'm going to call this movie a parable it's a hundred percent a parable uh cut is unleashed in audiences for some would find this very like confusing and even describe it as bad like a bad movie which i'm mm-hmm. gonna say right now it's unequivocally in my opinion not a bad movie <laughs> like, no, it's, a, I, it's like it's not a good time but it's a great i think it's like a i think it's an interesting it's genuinely like you're seeing you know 
a genius's script made reality by a top of the line filmmaker. And With if you can the A list of the A list actors inhabiting these very strange roles. Yeah, and I will and I'll say too, this is gonna sound kinda saucy. Like if you can't glean anything from this movie, that's a bit of a that's a bit of a YP. That's a <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a year problem. It's not yeah, a it's not, not it's, not, it's not a it's not a Cormac McCarthy problem. It's yeah. not a CP, it's a it's a it's a YP. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're not willing to like perhaps have a thought after this movie. Like, yeah, you can't like yeah, like in Look, it's not going to be for everyone, and I get, I get that from the perspective of like it's grim and dour, and like we all need breaks from the grim and dour. But it, like, I think it is so disingenuous. Like, if you can't glean a single thing from this film, like, eh, that's a yeah, YP. Yeah. That's a YP. Yeah, sorry. So, well, <laughs> they go into production. What is this movie about? We've talked mm. for forty-five minutes here, uh, yeah, around this. But essentially, it's it's a rather simple story. Uh, mm-hmm. We are introduced to the counselor who does not who is a very cool, very stylistic choice, very the protagonist in the tenet type choice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who's not given a name mm-hmm. um, because I think he's he's supposed to be an everyman. Yeah, he's a, he's your average try hard trying to take steps up the social and economic ladder American. Mm-hmm. And the counselor is played by Michael Fassbender in his second movie in a row with Ridley Scott, clearly mm-hmm. bringing up comparisons. That is Michael Fassbender, the new Russell Crowe, basically, you know? mm-hmm. um, which is, I think apt and easy, easy to make that choice. Um, Fassbender, I think is excellent in this movie. You know, mm-hmm. I was talking with my brother about it. He's like, he's such a difficult character because he's the hardest one to pin down mm-hmm. of everyone in the cast. And like, he's purposely kind of a blank slate. He spends most of the movie being lectured to by very yeah. various characters and, monologuing and, and, at him. And the lectures kind of like, you know, they don't seep into him. They kind of bounce off him. That's that's right as well yes because the entire movie is about him basically not listening to yeah. any of these lectures like you know the ian nathan book summed up very well he is the counselor who counsels everyone but takes no one's counsel yeah it's like how many times can you hear a variation of the scorpion and the frog story yeah and not like fucking dude like and so he's somewhere in texas and mm-hmm. he is the movie opens in an astonishing in an astonishing way with him in bed with his girlfriend, Laura, who is a um, designed to be an angel of purity. Yeah. <laughs> you literally are introduced to them and like they're enshrouded in white sheets. It's essentially like they're, they're basking on a cloud in heaven. Yes. <laughs> and <little> harps. <laughs> what we don't realize, or maybe we do is that this will be the last good moment of the counselor's life. Oh god, yeah, yeah, that's a really good point you just brought up. Yeah, it's probably like incredibly Cormac McCarthy. And the movie opens with Laura saying, Are you awake? And he says, No. Oh man, Cormac McCarthy's a fucking genius. 
as yeah. we know. But... He's sleeping through the last good moment of his life. And he's sleeping through bad decisions. He's not awake enough to pay attention to what he is doing. Like, uh... bravo. <laughs> claps, claps all around. Um, there's, and it also opens with probably the most, some of the most insane dialogue in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, his description of her private parts is yeah. particularly, I won't quote it, but it's wild. <laughs> like so, it, it is some ludicrous, it is very like, it's, you know, it's like, if you can't, it's wild. It's very, any, it's, any yeah. other screenwriter sends the script in that line is getting cut immediately. Yeah. Not Cormac McCarthy though. Mm-hmm. We don't change it. We don't change a lick of his dialogue. Nah. He's got the meats. He got this. So then, so what we find out is that the counselor, now in Ian Nathan's book, he says that counselor gets into this deal to pay for the diamond ring. Mm-hmm. But the counselor is already driving a Bentley. And I was curious if perhaps this diamond dealer only took cash. I don't know. Like, it seems like a huge drug deal to pay for a expensive diamond. Yeah. I don't it's, buy that. And I never, I've seen this movie many times and I never picked up on that. I got it. And I think Cormac has got it. It's like, it doesn't have, it's not A to B. It, there mm-hmm. is no like reason that he's doing like specific reason. He is getting involved in this other than greed. Yeah. No, it's just literally like, just to get like uh it's just a, se- a little bit of a further leg up. Which is just yeah, and it's a and it's a ludicrous way to. It is wild. Like he, I think your point that he is just like sleepwalking through life is apt because it's wild to think you could do something of this nature and not. He's realized the mud you've stepped in. Yeah, and he's making choices based on what he thinks you do in America. He became Mm -hmm. a lawyer because he heard it could make him money. He's got the hot girlfriend because he's supposed to have a hot girlfriend. He dresses well and looks cool because he's yeah. supposed to. He drives the cool car and he needs to have the cash to back it up. Mm-hmm. It's all about appearances to the counselor. Yeah. He hasn't thought Maintain- about any of it. Maintaining a uh, a an aesthetic brought on by the social strictures of current capitalist society. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Well, well put. <laughs> so the counselor goes to Amsterdam to talk with the diamond dealer. The counselor, the diamond dealer, is played by the great, late great Bruno Gans. Oh, so one scene, and many one of many one scene wonders in this Ooh. film. We get a couple and of them. The first guy to present the counselor with a moral conundrum. Buying <laughs> yes. this diamond. Where does the diamond come from? And counselor, do you really want to go down this road? The counselor's response as it is to almost every one of these scenes is cool. Give me the diamonds. <laughs> yeah, it is like this dude, Bruno Gans, who like he like he, he pulsates. He radiates forebodingness. He is like and a, authority is, and authority. Yes. Yeah, feels like fucking who's the guy who uh, is the boat is a Charon who has the boat at the river sticks. Like <laughs> he feels like that. And it feels like counselors like Who's like gonna ask if like you you could cross the bridge if you answer these riddles three? 
Yeah, it's that same energy. Yeah. It is so like when you here's the thing. If your jewelry dealer starts talking to you about the origins of like, you know, the differences between the ancient Greeks and Western current Western society, like you gotta get out. think about like, like what life you're living, man. I when I I did not get that when I bought Jen her engagement ring. It was just like nice. here's a credit card. Like what size is her finger? Like, yeah, this is like yeah, because you don't want someone too Howard Ratnery, but you yeah, don't want someone too Bruno Gant. Like there's like a medium. You there's have to find a medium. Yeah, you yeah. gotta find the medium when you're out buying jewelry. Uh, but this scene did teach us a lot. It's a fascinating scene teaching us about the ins and outs of diamonds. Mm-hmm. Oh, all that stuff. Very, like uh, no, the details are cool. Oh, and it's such a like. I feel like it is like a good Cormac McCarthyism, where it's like, yeah, the best diamond would be nothing. Like, what was it? Yeah. Or it'd just be light. It'd just be yeah. light. Yeah, it'd be invisible. The purest diamond would you would not be able to see because it's just pure light. It's like bullseye, dude. That's yeah, cool. That that rules. But Laura seems great. Laura's played by the lovely and talented Penelope Cruz, who does her best in this yeah. role, which is kind of one note, but it's supposed to be one note. That's mm-hmm. like the entire idea around it is that she's a beacon of light and hope and like niceness. She's Catholic. Yeah. She's like a practicing Catholic. She like goes to confession. She's like a pure soul. <laughs> she is so like not of this world that Michael fa- and it's like a testament to the writing that like this dope like doesn't realize that like not only is he getting himself in the quicksand, he's dragging he's all of his loved ones with him. The effort, yeah, like so that leads us. To, speaking of loved ones, we are introduced to them having martinis in the desert, watching their cheetahs chase down like rabbits <laughs> in the desert. Oh and, man, uh, power lo- local power couple, Reiner and Malkina. Oh my Reiner, god. Yeah is played with a flourish, a brilliant flourish by the great oh, Javier Bardem. Like, so, and so hats good. off to him. He and another actor we'll get to in a moment really understand the what they're doing in this movie. And yeah. the little as, aspects of camp value and character flourishes that are put into them take them to the extra mile in between all of their monologuing. Reiner is um local party boy, drug dealer, and club owner. Um, he was outfitted in, um, I believe, all Versace. Oh, my hey, God. Yeah. Not, Gu- not Gucci. I was going to say, it looked yeah. like his shirts reminded me of, like, remember, remember that, like, one Coke fail sudden? Oh, like, it was. <laughs> it's it's uh, Jared, Jared Leto designs. And from the house of Gucci, like that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Daddy, I want to show you what I did. You did socks. <laughs> oh no, that's not <laughs> God. But he Jared wears Leto. like wild shirts. He's got um this insane like spiky hairdo that mm. was apparently Javier Bardem's pitch for the role, He's and it's good based, hair actor. It is completely based on um. Mega producer Brian Grazer is if you've ever seen a photo of him, it is the it's, yeah, ah, it's the exact yeah, same. That yeah. is, I never made that realization until now. I had yeah, to like it's... unearth a picture of him in my head, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you know Brian Grazer, if he had not met Down to Earth winner Ron Howard, <laughs> this could have been a road he got. He goes down like <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> most producers are only one step away. Most power producers are only one step away from being drug dealers to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and his girlfriend is Malkina, who, from the get go, you could tell, is a is a scary scary person yeah she there's like a line in the beginning of the movie where she's like they i think they're just talking about their family or something and she's like yeah, yeah both of my parents were like thrown off of a helicopter, helicopter. in the ocean okay okay yeah. and she's like very like the least sentimental person perhaps ever put on film because <laughs> she is just she is like solely of this world this is and, the world she she lives the traffic's it, in what's what it's much like Chigur in No Country. She's a devil incarnate character. Yeah. And, but it, unlike Chigur, people do not, are not a, maybe because she's a woman and these are all like, think they're these alpha dog men, mm-hmm. but um, they should not trifle. She should, not, she is not a person to take lightly and they should be like afraid. Well, that's because everyone. Everyone else is a poser in this world. Yes. She is the only one person because, like, Great. even yes. Reiner, like, he thinks he's like, but like, she's not. He's not as of this world as she is. Well, even Ra- certainly not even the Westray. Even yeah. Westray, she's Westray's not. A po- yeah, yeah, because Westray has a fatal flaw. We'll get to Westray. Just oh, I cannot wait. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but uh, she's played by Cameron Diaz, who very against type, I would say, for mm-hmm. Cameron Diaz. You know, she's a absolutely phenomenal light comedian. In uh, performer, um, so to play this deathly serious evil role is a very unique thing. Apparently, they did look at um, Angelina Jolie for it, and I think you can't, you catch Cormac after a couple whiskeys, he'd probably say he wrote it for Angelina Jolie. Oh yeah, like, it feels and yeah, it feels like her. But Cameron does her best mm-hmm. with the role, and she's fearless. In doing it, we'll yeah. talk about one scene in particular. Um, Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia in just a moment. <laughs> uh, and what we find out is the counselor and Reiner have gone in on a big drug deal with the Mexican cartel. Mm-hmm. Um, they had their first discussion is, of course, at Reiner's like insane gaudy mansion. And Reiner brings up a device called the Bolito. Ooh, and yeah. goes into great detail on what this is. And this is essentially a device where you, it's like a piano wire type thing or on with a small motor and you just drop it over somebody's head and it starts to turn on the motor and it doesn't stop until it cinches and cinches and cinches and cinches until you're no longer of this world. Um, <laughs> this happens in the first like twenty minutes of this movie. Reiner, this is this Chekhov's Bolito. Yeah, I, I would say yes. I would say yeah. so. Like, <laughs> I would say so. I would say so. Uh, and he's like, so counselor. Now that I've told you about people getting their heads chopped off in the worst way imaginable, <laughs> do I do this drug deal? And counselor's response is naturally, hell yeah. <laughs> 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 Let's go. I got Ryder's like I got this ter- terribly terrifying girlfriend, and I'm telling you about terrible things. You want to go into business with me? Yeah. All all right. Sounds good. Oh, sounds good. And Reiner is like a greedy horn dog incarnate. 
Mm-hmm. And you have to just, and I have no idea how the council of the Reiner became buds. Completely, they seem of different planets. And yet, I feel like they must have, like, both. Kessler must like, have, like, be his lawyer at some yeah. point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lawyer, or like they were at a function, like there was, like, some party they were both attending, and he just saw this guy and was like, oh, the cool guy. I want to see what's the, the what cool the, guy. Yeah. yeah, I want to see what this deal, this dude's deal is. And frankly, like, Reiner has access to the best drugs, the best women. Yeah. In their little shitty community that they're in. I mean, like, there is, like, this part of me that's like, you know, if I knew a guy who had two cheetahs, although I guess honestly, I don't I'd know. Cu- I, mean, maybe be, I, would be, I would be curious. Yeah, I would be curious. I, like I wouldn't like, like him, but I'd be curious. Yeah, I you'd be... like I wouldn't get a drug deal with him. No, yeah, that seems like a bad idea. But I've yeah, read we have a little before. more sense. We've read enough McCarthy and Don Winslow to know, like, yeah. never, never the realm we're going in. No, 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 no. Yeah, not not my world. This is why you should read books, kids. They can teach you very valuable lessons on what not to to get into. If you have a six-year-old and you want to make sure they go down the right path, make them read Blood Meridian. Every night before bed, we do about 10 pages of No Country for Old Men. And, you know, it's the right call. (laughs) It's the right call. (laughs) She said Chigurh the other day. It was great. (laughs) Um. And so we're also cutting between down in Mexico, a series of seemingly unrelated things like this, like tanker truck being reef retrofitted to move drugs. Mm-hmm. And this green Hornet is what he's known as like kid on this like motorcycle. We get an insane scene where he talks to a woman about how he thinks the best diet is eating dog food. Um, truly insane. Yeah. Oh, just so this guy is a total played by I think Richard Cabral, who has a great. He's it's a good he's a what great, a great look. Great look. Yeah. Yeah. Great look, and like what a fun like you know kind of like early in your career to get to like be a weird like Cormac McCarthy side character that gets a like a McCarthy monologue that rules yeah. once in a lifetime. Yeah, he's cool. Um, we don't know what the hell his deal is, but we assume it's going to add up to something. Yeah. Meanwhile, the counselor is in, introduced. Counselor meets our next character for a Heineken, which is in the script. Two Heinekens, yeah. and the, who is the go-between between Reiner and the counselor, and the Mexican cartel, and this character is, of course, Westray. Mm-hmm. Uh, Westray is played by Brad Pitt, and like, <laughs> if there's any any actor who has made to play Westray, Brad Pitt's perfectly cast. Yeah, like just, he's got to be weird and charming, dangerous, and foreboding all at once. Like, yeah, kind of like a little, uh, kind of eloquent, but a little rough and a little classy. Like, there's so much going on with his character. Well, Brad Pitt, like we talked about it when you know, back going back to our Thelma Louise episode, um. You know, he he's this like undereducated Missouri farm boy, mm-hmm. basically, who now is in the highest of possible levels of elite. He has more access than almost anyone on the planet to whatever he is. whatever he chooses, basically. Yeah. He but he's still kind of an insecure 
dumb, beautiful Missouri farm boy. Yeah. At the end of the day. And, he's a lug. Yeah, he's a lug. And Westray, for all of his like worldly nature, mm-hmm. is still not like Yeah. There's still like, that like part, he's still not like and the smidge that he's not good not like he's not playing the game at the highest level. He's nah, just th- like there's this this thin film of insecurity brought on by his previous station that he'll never be able to, uh, you know, wash from himself. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is also why I believe Westray is Brad Pitt from Thelma and Louise. Thirty mm, years later, there we go. Bomb is dropped. Yeah, there's the there's my uh, there's my connection bomb that this is where the guy from Thelma and Louise ends up. Spread and I do floor. mean I do mean ends up. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, yeah, the end. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler. But he's dressed like as this like insane like cowboy character. And Westray knows himself quite well. I'm good at this. Mm-hmm. I can get out of this. But I got one problem. Women. Does this come back to haunt Westray? You better believe it. It's everyone's mia. problem in this movie that there are a bunch of horn dogs <laughs> like, who cannot think one step ahead of their dicks. Probably. That's probably <laughs> their biggest problem for our three male leads in this movie. Yeah, I'm surprised he doesn't get a Bolito down there. I know, that would have been so fucking funny. <laughs> oh, my oh, di- no. oh, my dick! <laughs> oh, no, my hands! He's <laughs> like... So, and Westray gives even the bigger speech of like, are you sure, counselor? Do you know what? He talks about snuff films. He talks about all sorts of nasty Horrible things, yeah. That um, the counselor does not listen to at all. Mm -hmm. Counselor, 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 counselor. (laughs) You gotta listen to me, man. Uh, They go through with the deal. But then it turns out the Green Hornet and the counselor goes to visit another mega one scene wonder. One of his clients. Oh, yeah. Played by the great Rosie Perez in a one scene wonder. Yeah. And basically, what we find out is that her son got arrested for a speeding ticket and can't post bail. And the counselor agrees to help. Because mm-hmm. um, he's a client and help her out. Yeah. Makes sense. What he doesn't realize is that this her son is the Great Hornet motorcyclist, who oh, is a man. key figure in all of this drug deal. Mm-hmm. Counselor is a dummy, but stupid choices, stupid innocuous choices have terrible, terrible consequences in this movie. Um, Makina senses an opportunity to undermine the entire deal and profit for herself. So she employs the wire man oh he's known, to steal the drugs. Mm-hmm. First things first, they have to put a razor wire, uh, invisible razor wire across the freeway to get a tracking device from the Green Hornet character. Mm. They decapitate him. Whoops. Wowza. <laughs> Wowza. And this is essentially, and they steal the truck with the cocaine. And Westray, Westray lets the counselor know. So that kid you bailed out? Yeah, he's dead. He was involved in drug trade. The drug truck is gone. We are fucked. 
remember all that stuff about snuff films and bolitos that you were warned about? It's all coming for us. Yeah, it's happening. Stuff is serious. Oh, man. And I I love, like, the Wireman. There's, like, an inscrutability to that character that almost reminds me of, like, like, have you ever seen Under the Skin? Mm-hmm. Like the aliens yeah. and like even like the bicyclist and that like they're just like they're just so like there's like this like um it feels like there's just it's it's just at that point like the the forces that surround the counselor uh, are they just become like unbreakable walls. There's no way he can deal. You really get a sense that like there's no way you can wiggle yourself or 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 try to bargain with whatever you're dealing there's with. Because also. To the people who win, there is no ambiguity. There yeah. is no question of no. what needs to be done and how you do it. And with and without <laughs> that wiggle room, it's just yeah, it's like you're trying to have a conversation with a fucking hurricane. You can't. The hurricane just happens, dude. <laughs> yeah, and you're all of a sudden in it. Westray's leaving town. The counselor calls like desperately calls Laura. He's like you. Can you get out, please, <laughs> like, of everything? <laughs> but everything is crumbling around them. We get mm-hmm. our first victim. Oh, we're going to count. We're going to spoil the hell out of all this because we got to. Yeah, um, I'll put no spoilies in the, in the warnings. Um, first victim, the cartel catches up with old Reiner. Ooh. As he's transporting his cheetahs in his suburban. Or no, his escalated. Of course he has an yeah. escalated. Yeah, yeah, best best yeah. way to transport cheetahs, of course. Yeah, and um, he thinks he'd get away. He gets shot in the leg in his white pants, and I always thought I thought that like blood looks great on white pants. Oh, it always does. It always does. And then he thinks he gets away, and Reiner just unceremoniously gets popped in the head. Yeah, and that's that for Reiner. Oh, and, and the cheetahs they get to like roam free. Get, whoa, which is also like a wonderful metaphor. It's like don't cage these animals. Like yeah, we can't uh- we cannot screw with nature's order. No. Like do not you, like these are not pets. To, they need you, to run you, in the wild. You <laughs> like, don't order nature. Nature orders you. Yeah, this is like trying to think you can control the ocean, man, and getting swept away in the current. Like, sorry. Primal like, forces. Yeah. Like that's a beautiful that's a beautiful thing. Do not screw with nature. Nature's gonna overtake all of us at some point. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna end up worm food. Sorry. Yeah, I <laughs> sorry. Like no, very Cormac McCarthy thing. We should also note that Reiner shares a story before he passes away mm. with the counselor that perhaps should make all of them think. And it is about how Malkina fucks his yellow Lamborghini. Yeah. That now that was... sentence might sound weird to listeners who have not seen this movie. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a um yeah, and it's I'll give the movie credit. Uh the way she does it is actually like uh no, it's still weird. It's crazy. It's it is totally crazy. ludicrous. I think it better. Cameron Diaz anyway. has guts to do it. And Javier Bartem's face in that scene is like <laughs> It's like what? Because like, well, like she's on the red like, eagle on the hood of the damn on the windshield of the car, pumping the car, and you're just like, and counselor, why are you hanging with these people? These are weird people. Yeah, these are well, insane it, people. 
like, well, and that's like the thing. That's when you realize that, like, too, that like Reiner is in over his head. Like yes. he is just as like out of like, his like. This is totally outside the box for him. He thinks because he's done a few lines of cocaine and maybe had a threesome once in his life that he's an experienced man of the world. Yeah, he's not. And thus, he's cheap food. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, he's totally, he's just out of his element. He's hes just, yeah. They all he are. Thought, yeah. yeah. These are guys playing above, trying to hit above their weight class. You know what reminds me of, too, is True Detective Season 2. Same deal. Same deal. Like, and I love that story about, like, guy. it's always men, by the way, who are yeah. trying to hit above their weight class, trying to prove something. Mm-hmm. But all of that like insecurity ends up being their downfall because they can't see the forest of the trees. Like, yeah. <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> so Reiner's dead. Westray is getting out of town. And the counselor though goes to Mexico because he thinks he can negotiate. And what God. we get is my favorite scene in the entire movie. And he contacts Hefe, a high-ranking cartel member, who's like seems to be planning for his like granddaughter's quinceanera. Doesn't really have much effect on him at all. Yeah, he like is living in like a kind of a posh. Man. It's so funny seeing the um the uh, juxtaposition of his obscene wealth versus Reiner's obscene wealth. Yeah, and how and they like yeah. What's true... a little more serious? What's true wealth? Yeah, true wealth. Butler wealth. Butler ass wealth. He's played by Reuben Blades, and oh. just uh, and basically he gets the speech to the counselor. Mm-hmm. He's like, "All right, you were warned, but sometimes in life you don't listen, and life is not fair. <laughs> there is nothing I could do, counselor, but hope that you are praying because the wheels are in motion." already oh my goodness and it's haunting and fastbender is phenomenal on like crying on the phone leading here and we know and fastbender has gone from being like totally put together to being like five o'clock shadow like sweaty like sweaty dirty dusty suit yeah like, he's like hiding in like a kind of like a safe house sort of area like he's yeah. just not looking good he's and he's just utterly and he goes through this like parade for all the missing like people in oh, Mexico. Man. Simultaneously we see Laura Penelope Cruz get kidnapped at the airport. And her costume's brilliant because she's like wearing like this like bright red jacket. It's like very like telling like the color scheme. Mm-hmm. She's taken and the counselor is in hiding. Meanwhile, Westray, who is like, I can get out of town like that. I'm like Robert De Niro in Heat. <laughs> Second, the Heat's around the corner. I'm out of here, baby. Yeah. Um, she's all well and good. He ends up in London. Uh, but unfortunately, he's introduced to Natalie Dormer, who is simply known as the blonde. And the second yeah. we see her, because she's absolutely like, compelling compelling and gorgeous yeah she's like no she has a presence and you know what uh having a presence means in this movie you're evil it means anything and 
Westray, who is like fucking Bugs Bunny when he sees ladybugs. Very <laughs> <laughs> Tex Avery. He is he yeah. Tex he's of the it's just down to down to a shit kicker roots. He's <laughs> and we basically find out she gets sent in to steal all of Westray's like account information and everything he has by Malkina. She's like, so what do you do? And he's like, and Malkina's like, don't worry about it. What's you're gonna do? Of course, the most famous and beautiful person in this movie is the one who gets the Bolito. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and he gets dropped over for Brad's neck. Brad gets his fingers stuck between the <sighs> wire and his neck. And he's and like, my brother, he's like, fuck you! Fuck you! That's like the only reaction possible. <laughs> because like the thing about the Bolito gives you a chance to think about it. Yep, that's why it's so evil. That's it why it's worse. Like... It's way, it's even worse than you yeah. can imagine because you get about 30 seconds to truly react to your terrible fate. Yeah, and how you have gotten yourself into this pickle. <laughs> like, Yeah, which is why when after the fingers go and Brad is laughing about it right before it hits the carotid artery. <laughs> And blood hits the spectators. Yes. Yeah, the... Reiner describes it. <laughs> and everyone goes home happy. <laughs> With yeah, the, the finger quotes. Yeah. So Brad loses his fingers and eventually his head Ooh. in a terribly gruesome, horrifically violent sequence. Brutal. Just beyond <laughs> brutally brutal. violent sequence. The cocaine now in Malika, Malkina's control. Makes its way to Chicago, mm-hmm. where we're introduced in two more one scene wonders to the buyer played by D. Norris. Ooh, Mr. Uh, Breaking Bad, Mr. Sexy, <laughs> Mr. Sexy himself, <laughs> and one of the guys who is working on the process who explains also that they're transporting dead bodies rotting in acid in these dumpsters, played oh, by. Academy Academy Hall of Famer John Leguizamo. Yes. And the counselor is now in his shanty hotel mm-hmm. where he is gets delivered by, I think, like a 10-year-old. Yeah. An envelope. It's not good. He opens it up. It's a CD that says Ola on it. We don't need to watch it because we've already heard about snuff films. Cut to a garbage dump where we see a headless body with a red jacket being unceremoniously grim, just uncompromisingly grim. And the grimmest of all, we leave the counselor in this hotel room. Yeah, we do not see what happens to the counselor. He is left to purgatory. And simultaneously, while that's happening, we see Malinka. With uh, another, like, what we could only assume, I think he was said he was, like, a banker or something. Yeah, it's only going to be another room. It's another room. And who knows it? Because he's yeah. petrified of her. He's played by Goran Visnovich, who's also a very good actor in one scene, yeah. wonder scene. She also knows she, Malinka goes to see a priest to just talk about fucking, and that priest is played by Edgar Ramirez in another one scene. Oh, wonder. yeah. <laughs> um, and at the end, basically, she's like, I'm going to make my money because the entire world is going to burn. Yep. And her final line is, should we eat? I'm famished. I've got mine. 
yeah, I got mine, and I'm still hungry. And the look on his face is like, I don't want to deal with this woman. She is the scariest person I've ever met. And it's just every, it's like so many people just like they realize they're kitty kids in the deep end of the pool. Yeah. <laughs> cut to the credits. Cut to um, a card. This movie is dedicated to Tony Scott. Mm-hmm. So Tony Scott passed away two weeks into the filmmaking, filming of The Counselor. And Walt Ridley and Cormac McCarthy had already made the decision to make The Counselor. There's undeniable feeling of dread and grief and frankly just death that coats yeah. this movie. Yeah. You can't yeah, you can't end this movie with a Diane Warren song. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> your heart will only go on for so long. Like yeah. <laughs> before you get the fucking bolito. <laughs> Uh, this is a um, deathly grim film. I mm-hmm. loved it from the moment good, I saw it. Like, yeah, it's a it. it's a nexus of uh darkness, and uh, it's a fun ride if you're into if that you're sort in, of. If you want to go into that headspace, there are infinite rewards. Uh, should be noted, the Darius Wolski was the cinematographer mm-hmm. here. Pietro Scalia edited it. Usual. Yeah. Guys, a uh, special shout out to Daniel Pemberton, who's new to the the ones and twos on the score oh, on this his, one. And yeah, great the score. score is terrific. Yeah, it's haunting. It's a kind of a Western, maybe a little Mexican, yeah, Mexican little... Uh, flourishes. It's um, mm-hmm. it's very, very good score. Um, very enjoyable score. I've listened to it just on its own, doing some writing mm-hmm. or what have you. Cancellor, as we mentioned, was released in um, October of 2013. And Cancellor is also a distinct example of a movie that is kind of an awards movie that didn't get the awards love, so nobody really knew what to do with it. Mm. Because we're also heading in this time period of there are only two kinds of movies. There are blockbusters and movies that win awards. The regular-ass Joe Schmo movie the Tony Scott movie, if you yeah. will, is rapidly diminishing as a theatrical property. It's like Chris Cooper and Seabiscuit, guys. It's just the cowboys are putting up their their saddles because, yeah. like the, the the you know the 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 suburbs have like encroached on the the prairie. Yes. Uh, so the <laughs> counselor had a production budget of $25 million. It ended up making worldwide $71 million. So $71 million worth of people went and saw this movie in the theater. And, yeah, I mean, I have a feeling that um, through creative, the creative uh, you know, film world accounting, they, they people will claim that this movie doesn't didn't make any uh, yeah. returns. But at least on, you know, if you just look at like the 25 $25 million budget, $71 million, that seems like a profit. It seems like it made... Uh-huh. And <laughs> I think... Um, so it only made $17 million of that in the United States. $54 million was worldwide. So worldwide actually helped it out. This movie was resoundingly rejected Yeah, in the United States. Mm-hmm. This is just not... You know... You know, Bungler's America. <laughs> mm, <freaking laughs> Which is a bungler. A, yeah, like mm-hmm. Hope. Like this is a hopeless movie. 
Yeah, this is the anti the anti Obama <laughs> film. This yeah. is this is like the anti like hope and everything's gonna work out. And we're all just friends holding hands. Yeah, names. like let's cross the aisle and shake hands. No, you're getting a bolito from fucking Mitch McConnell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you bolito Mitch McConnell. <laughs> he is definitely bolitoed somebody or hired yeah. somebody to bolito somebody. Oh, hundred percent. Isn't he say... a drug dealer? Isn't that, that's a fun conspiracy that he, most of his money is he's a drug dealer? I'd heard that. I didn't know that. Heard that? That's a good conspiracy. That's kind of fun. I like, I like to go and yeah, yeah like it's like too. Tim Allen or something. You know? Maybe. Well, I like. Well, that's like. I mean, there is that whole theory that most of Elon Musk's money is funneled to the cartel. I've never heard that theory. Dude, that yeah. is, it's like he's not a direct like. It's it, but it's funneled through because you can avoid um like taxes and shit. Oh, I, I mean, bye bye. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's um. We should allegedly, in, allegedly, allegedly, yeah, allegedly. Yeah. yeah, please, please don't give like the billionaire I have Sauron. Yeah. yeah, we don't need that. We don't need hey. that. That was our counselor move. We just did it. I just, oh, no. I just did it. Uh, just did it. Yeah. What is that? Tesla brand Bolito? Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. Oh, don't worry. It doesn't work. It's good. It's Tesla. It's... Yeah, I know. I will make. Oh, best. but it blew up. It's a self. It's a self-applying Bolito. If you want to put it on yourself. <laughs> I love Bolitos. <laughs> he never watched this movie. He doesn't have the attention span. No. Uh, his favorite movie is uh, an episode of Rick and Morty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100%. That pickle Rick, man. Yeah. Whatever, oh, yeah. whatever that is, that sauce or whatever. Like, In, that's his taste. Szechuan ses- but... sauce. Interesting. Fascinating. Yeah. Looking into it. This movie was roundly rejected. 34% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> wow. That is low. The just... counselor raises expectations with his talented cast and creative crew, then subverts them with a wordy and clumsy suspense thriller that's mercilessly short on suspense or thrills. Uh, misreading, but at the same time, it was marketed as a suspense thriller. Yeah. It's a hard movie to market. I don't know how you would mark. I feel bad for whoever had to market this film because it's not like there's an easy like through line or like something snappy. Like, yeah, and, and any of those things are going to be inherently disingenuous because that's just not that type of movie. It's just an unmarketable film. <laughs> yeah, it's unmarketable. It got a D cinema score. I'm actually legitimately surprised it didn't get an F. Yeah. Because like, it, the only comparable movie from this time period, which I know did get an F, is Andrew Dominic's Killing Them Softly. Has wow. the same exact attitude as this movie does. Well, it's like the cinematic equivalent of Black Licorice. Like it yeah. is like one of those things where, like, it's just if you can't, if you don't mess with that flavor, you're gonna like loathe it. <laughs> um, Manola Darhees was ahead of the game though, and Manola. loved it. Loved it. Yes. Gave it a rave and said, "Mr. McCarthy appears to have never read a screenwriting manual in his life, and that's a compliment." Yeah. Bravo! Yeah. Save the um, cat. Put that cat cat in a dang bolito. <laughs> Peter DeBruge of Variety, who I'm not a huge fan of, we'll put it that way. Mm, uh, criticized the script, saying Cormac McCarthy's first original script is nearly all dialogue, but it's a lousy story, ineptly constructed and rendered far too difficult to follow. Ineptly constructed. Like, no, I hate armchair screenwriting critics. Like, ugh. Everyone thinks they can write a script. Try. Um, Scott Foundus, critic for Variety at the time, wrote a defensive film called Why the Counselor is one of Ridley Scott's best movies. He compared mm-hmm. it to John Borman's Point Blank and the screenplay with the work of Mamet, Pinter, and Tarantino. 
<laughs> the film is bold and thrilling in ways that mainstream American movies rarely are, and its rejection suggests what little appetite there is for real daring at the multiplex nowadays. That is like, yeah, I point blank is a good comparison. Yeah. Uh, Don Winslow loves this movie and has said it was a huge influence on his Border Trilogy books, mm, which is not... That a- makes... Makes perfect sense. Yeah, huge and not surprise. <laughs> perhaps the most vocal supporter of this movie, though, is Guillermo del Toro, who feels it's a complete and utter masterpiece, mm. stating the film is a meditation on the illusory nature of normalcy and the devastation to come. Wow. He got it. He yeah. got it. He totally got it. Del Toro is like, you know, he is one of the best. He's a great filmmaker, but also one of the best film watchers. He's good. Yes. Like he... He's a movie head as yeah. well as a movie maker. And he gets it. He gets it yep. completely because I would argue also Nightmare Alley has similar qualities to this movie. Oh, boy. Yes. A hundred percent. In terms of like, yeah, the depravity and sorrow. Yes. A hundred percent. It's like, yeah, they're dude, like. There's a world where counselor, he's doing the geek show after all this. Because yeah. yes. what else does he yeah. have left? Oh, he's 100% very, very similar to Bradley Cooper's character in Nightmare Alley. You know? Yes, 110%. Yeah. Uh, but what this movie has become is essentially what Cormac McCarthy was in the 70s, 80s, and 90s. A movie mm. that is talked about amongst friends and adventurous moviegoers as the... Um, Uh, uh, one of the more fascinating and uh, discussion-worthy films. Mm-hmm. A unique films in Ridley Scott's filmography. Like, yeah. it sticks out to me. It's one of my favorite Ridley Scott movies. Uh, maybe because it doesn't actually feel too much like a Ridley Scott movie. <laughs> well, and it's, well, it's something we've you know talked about, how like often his best films... Um post Blade Runner uh, have like a kind of a really a a writer with a vision at the helm. Not all of them, but uh, you know, I think like, you know, he's an actor. He's a he's a writer. He's a director that benefits from a William Monaghan or a uh, uh, Callie Corey with with, uh, I mean, because I think Thelma Louise infinitely more pleasing movie. Mm -hmm. But Thelma Louise is clearly the sister film to the counselor in some ways yeah it's and it's so yeah and you freak it's so wild that that what a crazy the way that movie ends too is so yeah. like unique compared to like films like i don't think a movie would end that way nowadays it is but even just then like, yeah. even then you know we talk about how people have changed now even in the early 90s that ending was like hated yeah they're like they have to die like well i don't know like, what? The, oh, I could be like a character for them. What is freedom, if not death? Mm. Mm. Have you heard the the story of the spider and the obelisk? I was once eating a gigantic cheeseburger. And I thought to myself, this cheeseburger tastes so good, counselor, so good. But by the end of it, I enjoyed so much of it that I had a tummy ache. And what you, counselor, right now have is a tummy ache. 
Oh, now, see, that's what the problem is. They never use the meteoric proportions. And what I suggest to you is I was able to get my hands on some Pepto-Bismol. There is no Pepto-Bismol for you, Counselor. <laughs> that, now, that, now that you've said it in terms yeah. I understand, I, that, I see that's the thing. And I can explain been... that to Peter de Bruges. Yeah. Variety, and I can say that's what this movie was about. Was about this a uh, really bad case of the rumblies, the <laughs> ultimate <laughs> tummy ache. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like Americans; they need like the cheeseburger. If you don't have a burger analogy, it's just not gonna. Well, no one thinks about the consequences of Taco Bell when they are ordering from when they are ordering fifteen to twenty dollars worth of food for an individual order at Taco Bell. <laughs> What? That actually was, uh, you know how like uh, Blood Meridian has that like, you know, sub like that uh, alternate name. It's like Blood Meridian or the I can't remember it off the top of my head, mm-hmm. like the, the 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 lonesome flower of the that was actually the. Yeah, so that was the counselor. It was the counselor or the the subtle consequences of a late night Taco Bell. Yeah, you think it's going to help. <laughs> yeah. Counselor, it's not. <laughs> counselor, you got to drop that. Even rice burrito, dude. You're gonna you're gonna have the ultimate rumbly. Yeah. Um, but if you haven't seen the counselor, we highly recommend it. Check it out. Yeah. Um, we'd love to hear if you hated it or if you loved it and your new favorite damn movie. Oh. Uh check in with us, the Academy Academy Podcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at the Acadacad. Let us know. Uh we want to see those five star counselor reviews on Letterboxd too. I do I expect nothing less. Mm-hmm. Nothing less than five. I give it five. Yeah. Five but, smiles. Uh, five smiles. <laughs> five bolitos. Five, 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 five gaudy shirts. Five cheetahs. Five cheetahs. I've had a five cheetahs. Five uh, monologues on the nature of, choice, <laughs> of fate and choice. Yeah. <laughs> we loved it. It was a great time. I loved holding hands with you watching it. It was the perfect movie to get to finally get together to do so. Oh, man. Yeah, it was a treat. Total treat. Good movie to watch. Like, yeah, crack open a beer, head into the abyss. <laughs> and then, like, then go directly to your Pulsator journal and just yep. write about it a bit. Think about think about it all. <laughs> yep. How, it all, how that shit all makes you feel. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe you'll be looking at that, you know, sweater vest you own a little, a little differently <laughs> after you watch. <laughs> You're like, what can I put on it's this? Cool. What it's can cool. I put you quote Restre. Think about that next time you're doing a line. Like, <laughs> yeah, think about this movie. Perhaps you'll think twice about many life yeah. decisions. Like, many. Cautionary tale. That's actually probably what the subtitle. That's what it should say on the poster. A cautionary tale. Yeah, really. It is like yeah. It's like Grimm's fables. It is yeah. Uh, speaking of cautionary tales, next week on the show we'll be returning to the world of the Equalizer, Antoine Fuqua, mm. and his film, yes. his classic Training Day, which I'm pumped Ooh. to watch. I haven't, I said it last week. I've not rewatched it in a while, and a lot of his movies, like The Counselor, even are on my like. Oh, I want to rewatch that, but I'm like, I know we're doing it. Like in a couple months, I could just wait it out. <laughs> so. <laughs> So Training Day, which I believe is still on BET Plus, Blu-ray, the services, you name it. Week after that, a really Scott double feature. Oh. The um I've seen it. I'm still gonna call it perplexing Exodus Gods and Kings. Oh, I haven't <laughs> seen this one. I'm really 
the fact that like Aaron Paul is in that movie is so funny to me just because he seems so of our time. He's such a guy of I our know. era. And like Joel Edgerton as Ramses. Whoa, that's a weird one. In 2014? Weird. Mamma mia. Mamma mia. Weird. That's a spicy meatball. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but we're going to get into it. Uh, it's on Max right now. <laughs> yeah, not not HBO. Get that word out of your mouth, sir. David Zaslav will personally give you 10 lashes if um you call it <laughs> HBO Max. I'll get the, the cast of industry to beat you up. <laughs> yeah, he's like... <laughs> <laughs> He's like the producers of that. I, have you been look the main one that's being promoted for me on there right now, or like new on Max? Um, the dark side of Jared, the subway guy. <laughs> it's like, who on earth wants to spend an hour and a half watching this dipshit? This guy, you're like, he's not, like, he just sucks. It's terrible. Yeah, this guy's evil. evil and he sucks. It's just like, like if I, I'm going to watch I, a movie about people who are evil and suck, I'm going to watch The Counselor. Yeah, because like that's like yeah, the counselor. It's like it's entertainment. What am I gonna feel at like like Subway's ruined for me now? <laughs> like, <laughs> like oh, I guess I can't eat. I can't eat the worst sandwiches anymore. I know. Like, I went there <laughs> with the other plastic day. in the I bread. I went there the other day for like first for the first time in like two years, and folks, I loved it. It was great. <laughs> oh no. That's I your love, counselor mistake. No, I love. I know. I had a foot long, and then I ended up with the bolito. Yeah. Uh, the Dexter's Gods and Kings is decidedly more successful. The Martian. We have, we are at the Martian. Oh man! All the services. It's on Blu-ray. I can't believe it's not on Max. It feels like it's like yeah, been, like on one of. It should be on one of these. It's currently not though. You got to rent it. We'll be renting. That is it. weird. Yeah, that is a big. That's weird. I it's understand. Like uh, it's a deeply satisfying dad movie. Yeah, well, and it feels like one of the last, like, feels like the last breath of, like, that type of movie being really successful. Because I feel like The Martian did well in theaters. It was it huge, was... huge. Yeah. Uh, we might even get Jen to come on for a quick monologue about why um, The Martian winning for Best Musical Comedy Picture at um, the Golden Globes was one of the most offensive things she has ever seen at an award show. That is just, like... <laughs> Like, it's not are... musical and it's not fucking funny. Like I'll, I'll paraphrase what she will say. <laughs> like totally, yeah. That is easily the w- most joke. That is like an award ceremony that could be left in the dust. And... Yeah, and this is like a, a clear a like whatever came out in 2015. Like I think it was like the Revenant or something like that. Right. Like, that's beating the Martian in the drama category. But where can the where can where is the cat where is the category a little softer for the mm. Martian to win Best Picture musical comedy? Despite the fact it is neither musical nor funny, it's not a funny. I mean, there's like moments of levity, l- like it's a, like it has a happy ending. So I guess that helps. But like, yeah. it's not a comedy. It's like a movie. It's it's, just it's a, a, it's a survival a- adventure movie. Yeah, there's like a it's harrowing too. Like the scenes yeah. are like Matt Damon's like lost a lot of weight. <laughs> like I know he's no longer funny. He's like a little concerned. Yeah, about, about what's living off of like his poop on, potatoes stuck on damn Mars here. <laughs> yeah, it seems like living on Mars would fucking stink. It would be tough. Tough. Gets <laughs> gets zero out of five Cheetos. Yeah, I know, man. I'm giving my Yelp score for Mars one star. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, not yeah. enough oxygen. Now I sent him a score for Mars. D. My, <laughs> my cinema score for the Martian, A+. Plus. Yeah! <laughs> we'll be covering those two in two weeks, so that'll be an interesting one. And uh, I realize we're actually heading toward the tail end with Ooh. Ridley Scott. I can't believe wow. we're going to have seen every single Ridley Scott movie. That's nuts. That's a, that is a, a feat. That is, that is a feat, for sure. But uh, next week, training day. I'm excited. Um, uh, in anticipation, and because we're going to give the true research, I'm going to take Patrick out for a ride. <laughs> yes, it's going to be a bad day. We're just gonna, it's going to be a very bad day. <laughs> oh, by the way, uh, Don, I just got this uh, cool um, pill you gave me from when we were at the party last night. Like, there's no side effects or anything, right? Like, None it whatsoever. just None whatsoever. None whatsoever. You just, just did pill. crack <laughs> <laughs> in pill form. <laughs> and um, also, I've completely betrayed you. Remember that, like, deal we had? Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 Don. Come on, man. Dude. Yeah, knock at the door. You're getting an envelope. <laughs> oh, Don, no. Oh, I mean, boy. I should have known better. You were calling yourself King Kong a lot. It was. Yeah, I was calling myself King Kong. I started, wear- I started wearing sunglasses just in <laughs> all situations. <laughs> He had a little beanie, like yeah, uh, I, yeah. You're like that's like got it. Like his style's cool. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but it's different. It's yeah. different than what it once was. I feel like wearing a black trench coat, like Morpheus. Like yeah, is... like wearing a lot of like scarves and sashes and stuff. Like that. <laughs> now you're leaving. You're leaving Denzel Washington and heading into Steven Tyler. Want to join a band with me? No, 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 get away, Hilo. <laughs> oh, Steven Tyler is such a Westray. Yeah, he's pure Westray. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the smidge Steve. of Reiner. He got a smidge of Reiner. Smidge of Reiner. Well, that's where the, the flourishing, the the, the, the the scarfs come in. <laughs> yeah. I wonder where that came from. I'm going to put some scarfs on my microphone stand. Man. I Who mean, knows? like, I want to see a movie. I want to see a founder air type movie about not the formation of Aerosmith but the idea behind the scarps on the microphone (laughs) the scarpsman yeah Jason Bateman is Steven Tyler in the scarpsman (laughs) I would love to see that guest bring it on bring it on we're making movies here folks making movies Uh, it's good we can laugh after that one yeah you gotta you gotta laugh you gotta laugh you gotta laugh yeah because otherwise you're crying. Yeah. Poor Mac McCarthy. <laughs> Poor... <laughs> Look, you gotta laugh. Otherwise you're crying. Yeah, there's no in between in this world. In this world, Consular. There are tears. And there's spoofs. Okay. And it cannot, all good. Be, it cannot all be spoofs. I want to warn you, Counselor. <laughs> cool. I... Let's okay, go cool. With, let's go along with this mass murder. All right. <laughs> Peace. Peace. We're good. We're good. Oh, Patrick with a fake out for Patrick. I'm Don. We'll see you next week on the Academy Academy. <laughs> Counselor, did you, we got bolitoed. That's why the show ended so abruptly. Uh, hey, but you know what? You just got to laugh. Hey. You got it. <laughs>